the third chapter of Genesis, um, if you would just go there with me, it begins with the serpent, the subtle beast, and the Lord comes to visit with them after this conversation and they had hid themselves because now they know things that they did not know. They had now moved into an age of consciousness. They realized how naked they were and they did their best to hide their shame. The Lord came looking and the Lord told them, he said, there's going to be some things that you're going to have to deal with. For the rest of your life. And he looked at the serpent and he said, I'm going to take care of you too. He said, you may, you may bruise their heel. But they're going to bruise your head. Amen. And this was a promise. But I want to begin at verse 15. Which is so powerful when you understand this treasure that's tucked away. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. This is to the serpent. Between thy seed and her seed shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is a messianic prophecy that the seed of a woman is what would overcome that serpent. I can't wait to see that day. If I had time, I'd just preach on that tonight. The Bible said that the angel of the Lord is going to take a great chain. He's going to take the accuser of the brethren and cast him into a bottomless pit. I'm going to be there for that. I'm going to watch the Lord do it. And everything that he's come against us with, every railing accusation, God's going to take him and chain him up. I used to wonder when I was a kid where in the world he's going to get a chain that great. I tell you, I've preached it and I believe it tonight. That chain just keeps on growing because every time chains fall off your hands and your feet... The Lord takes those chains and puts them back. Says, watch this. I'm going to take the things that he used to bind God's people with. And I'm going to bind him up with it. Praise God. Verse 17. Uh, verse 16. Under the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Ladies, you can just say thank you to sin. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of. Cursed is the ground. Everybody say, Cursed is the ground. Sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. In sorrow you're going to eat of it all the days of thy life. Verse 18. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. Verse 18 is the first time that we see this language in the scripture at all. He said, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. I don't know tonight exactly how I'm going to end up where I feel like <laughs> like we need to go. But I want to tell you that there is beauty in the thorn. There is beauty in the thorn. You can be seated tonight if the Lord will help us. I'm going to preach to you a little bit. I, uh, 
I would not call myself much of a botanist. I would say that uh, my thumb is not so green. I don't do real well with that kind of stuff. I love it when it's spring and it gets just warm enough that my wife can take all the plants that take over our living room in the winter and put them back out in the sunroom where they can get sunshine. If you look at my sliding glass door in our living room and my mother's sliding glass door, it looks somewhat of a rainforest all, all winter long. Um, my mother's quite funny. If you got a little scratch or something, she'll say, Ooh, I, I got some aloe right over here. She'll break it off. I don't know what all she's got in there. I'm scared to ask sometimes what all's in there. There's some plants that I just don't recognize, but she knows all of them. And we can walk through uh, a garden, places, you know, be walking, going in to eat somewhere. And my mom will say, ooh, saint, look at those so-and-sos. And I'm like, who are they, you know? She's like, well, that's a, uh, that's a perennial. That's a something else. And that'll come back next year. You know, her thumb's pretty green. She does well. But I know pretty when I see it. I like, I like pretty things. Uh, we had a lilac bush outside our home for years. It smelled so good. Just outside the office doors, there's one man. When it buds, I'm telling you. It smells like heaven on earth to walk by. It's beautiful. Um, when my wife and I were dating, she lived just off of Keystone Avenue in Indianapolis. And as you'd get off the exit right there, there was a big grocery store. Well, Brother Mooney thought it was a good idea to buy that grocery store. And now it's Calvary Christian School. But that was one of the first places I ever bought my wife flowers. I went to that big, huge grocery store and bought my wife flowers. And, uh, several years ago, when I was young, uh, youth pastoring and all that stuff, Dad and I got a hold of this deal with Brother Lloyd in Indianapolis, and we thought it'd be a good idea to sell roses for Valentine's Day. We went down and filled up the church bus with 857 million roses. And brought them back here. I never, I'm not a botanist, you know. But I like roses. I like finding pretty things and buying them for my wife. I found out something about selling roses. That if you're going to do a rose fundraiser, you're going to have sore fingers. Because if you're going to get the beauty of the rose, there's going to be some thorns <laughs> that are involved in this. And uh, I've, never, I've never walked through the garden center at Meyer or Wally World and walked up to the counter and said, Hey, would you guys mind making me a bouquet of thorns? Is that, is that something you guys, I mean, would you all be willing to figure out a way to just put me a bouquet of thorns and thistles? Because I know that's what my, life, my wife loves. I, I don't really know that I've ever seen... A garden center in the springtime when they open up with big signs out that say acacia bushes for sale. 
Because nobody wants to drive by and buy an acacia bush that's full of nothing but thorns and thistles. Except for our botanist friends, there are very few people in the world that find thorns captivating. They're not beautiful. They don't seem very useful. Uh, although they do burn extremely well. They make for great tender. But it seems to me that every association with a thorn is in a negative context. And as we read in the scripture, there's no wonder why. Because the Lord begins for the first time ever to reveal a thorn to us as a byproduct of poor decision making. And as we look at the thorn that's introduced to us in the 18th verse, it's as though for the first time we begin to feel the pain not only of a mother having to give birth and working by the sweat of their brow, but he said even in your harvest, even in the beauty of harvest, there is going to be thorns and there's going to be thistles that you're going to have to deal with. Church, I wish I could tell you that when you give your life to God, that everything you do in life is going to be nothing but rose petals and it's always going to feel like that everything is straight and narrow and everything is beautiful. But I want to tell you what I know tonight as a man, not just as a pastor, but as a man who lives and breathes the same oxygen that you do, that even serving the Lord, there are times in my life that have hurt. There are times in my life that I have been broken. There are times in my life that they weren't beautiful to me. They didn't feel pleasant to me. But I know they were the will of God. There were seasons that I went through that I begged and pleaded God with God that he would remove the thorn. But you have to understand that the process of the beauty is interweaved with the thorn. That when God is going to bless there's going to be thorns involved. I know tonight that I could get a great response if I were to ask for the raising of hands. For people in this room that had prayed and asked God for miracles that never came. You prayed and asked that God would give you relief from a storm that never came. But the purpose of the storm was not so that you could see God give you the ministry of extraction and lift you out of the, of the storm. But for God to show you the power of what it's like for him to ride in your vessel. And know that even in the midst of the storm, he is as powerful in the middle of a storm as he is in the calm of a storm. As you grow in Christ... You come to a place where you realize that your life with God does not have to be absent from trouble. But knowing that if you're absent from God in the midst of trouble, it's the scariest place in the world to be. I want to tell you tonight under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that the enemy would love for you to despise the thorns that are in your life. He would love for you to focus on the thorns that are in your life. But God has interweaved beauty into the thorns of life and when you look back over seasons that you thought at the time were going to kill you and the thorns were uncomfortable in your life now you look back over that season and you know that the season was not made to kill you but it was made for you to see the glory 
army of God. It was made for you to understand the power of victory. I'm preaching to somebody tonight that the devil had you convinced that it was over for you. But now that you look back, you know that God was with you and the hand of God was upon you. I want to tell you tonight, you need to be reminded you're still here. It You're still here. You're still alive. If the thorn would have killed you, you could have been dead a long time ago. But you belong to God. Mm. It's amazing to me as I search through the scripture, I began to find that the thorns may not be as terrible as you'd think. It's quite intriguing as a matter of fact the way that God weaves these very thorns into the revelation of his grace I'm going to try if I may to hurry through tonight and not leave you behind but in Genesis 3 and 18 it's a Hebrew phrase as we read thorns and thistles that phrase itself it's a Hebrew phrase that's referring to uh, a vast entire class of thorns it's a phrase that doesn't mean just a, a particular kind of thorn, so to speak, but it's like it's a general warning to understand that there's going to be rough seasons. There's going to be thorns. There's going to be thistles that are in your life. I don't, I don't want this to get too deep or too crazy, but I want to tell you that thorns and thistles were not in the original creation plan for God. But when man sinned, God cursed the ground with thorns. And it was a negative, hurtful, broken, even repulsive element that was added to the ideas of men. I'm telling you tonight that sin has an interesting way of introducing things to us that were not the plan of God for our lives from the beginning. I wish that I could somehow get into the hearts of young people tonight to let you know that your testimony does not have to be about how God brought you back it does not have to be about how God about how God restored you I don't know how I could do it man I've preached my heart out I've preached youth camps for over 20 years I've reached for young people to tell them that you don't have to have the same kind of testimony that your mother and dad I don't know how to get it to you tonight but I want to tell you young people that if you would hear the voice of the preacher tonight sin has a way of introducing thorns in your life that were never the plan of God it was not until sin it was not until the brokenness in man's hearts that God introduces the idea of the thorn I wish so bad tonight that we could that we could learn at a young age the value of of obedience. This is going to be a little uncomfortable, I'm sure. I know sometimes young people feel like we preach at you a lot. But I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe if we're not careful, we're going to end up at the same place that Joshua records as to how in one 40-year span, 
in the wilderness, the Bible said that there arose a generation which knew not the Lord nor the wonderful works which he had performed. I've preached this for years and years and years. You tell me, how is it that a generation that the only food they've ever known was manna that came from heaven? Stay with me now. If you believe the scripture, then you understand that these children, as they were being raised in the wilderness, they more than likely never had to have new shoes. It just, God just took care of them. As they grew, perhaps their shoes grew. That's kind of what the scripture insinuates, that they, they didn't have to have anything. They, they needed nothing. Oh God, I want to preach this tonight. It's a generation of people that if we're not careful, we get to the place that because somebody before us paid the price, then we feel like God owes us some things. But when they got to Jericho and they crossed the river, the Lord spoke through his men and he said, listen, this is a generation that's trying to cross over on their father's covenant and they're going to have to get in covenant for themselves. Oh, God, help us in here tonight. I'm reaching for some young people to help you understand the value, not just of your heritage, but the value of this present moment that you're living in right now. I don't know why, as a movement, it seems like we spend so much time in recovery mode. I don't know why we have to spend so much time healing things that should have never been broken. It's a principle that we can see on page after page after page after page. My heart ails within me when I read about the Apostle Paul preaching in the middle of a night. Could you imagine being there for that historic event as Paul preached in the upper room of that house and the Bible said that about midnight he kept on preaching but there was one young person that sat in the window Eutychus was his name and Eutychus sat in that window and instead of realizing the value and the importance of the moment and the word that was being preached to, to Eutychus and to the crowd that was gathered it was a non-committal moment for him I'm not sure that I want to be identified with this I'm not sure that I want people to know that's what I'm a part of. And right in the middle of apostolic ministry trying to go forth in the church, the Bible said that Eutychus fell asleep. And when he fell asleep, the Bible said that he fell out the window. You've heard me say it before, but there's power in understanding this. People that dwell in windows never fall in the church. They always fall out of the church. Eutychus did not fall in the church. He fell out of the church. If you're on the fringes, you're at some point and sometime in your life, you're going to fall. And when you do, you're going to fall the wrong way. Isn't it something that the Apostle Paul had to stop preaching apostolic demonstration to walk down three flights of stairs and go down into the street and restore a man that never had to fall. Eutychus, what a miracle. But it didn't have to be that way. You know, oh Jesus. Some people believe there's no such thing as bad publicity. 
It's a truth. And we got some people that would rather be in the headlines like, like Eutychus. You do know if Eutychus didn't have to be restored, he probably would have never made it in the scripture. Some people would rather have their name in the record book than to have their name in the Lamb's book. Why is it that we have to come back in a revival? Why is it that we have to pray back through in a revival? Why can't we be in the church and have revival? Come on, somebody. I'm talking to a generation. It's time to stop flirting around with the world. It's time to get out of the window. It's time to stop flirting around. Well, pastor, you know, that's just the way it is. I'm going to spend my time right now, but someday I'm going to live for God. There's a lot of people that are going to go into eternity talking about someday I will. Someday I'm going to. One day I'm coming back. Hey, can I preach to you tonight? Get in the church and stay in the church. Get in the church. Stay in the church. Get in the church. Come on, somebody help me preach it. Get in the church. Stay in the church. Can God do it? Man, yeah. Yeah, he can. I've seen him do it. But listen, not everybody has to be a prodigal. I wish some prodigals in here would just shout it out tonight and say, come on, pastor, help them. Do you understand how much time we lose? Uh, I'm talking about years that you can never get back. I'm talking about days. Oh, God. It's bad enough for me. On vacation, my wife can tell you it's the truth. Before all the goofiness you had to do to get on a cruise ship, we used to like to cruise. And I'd be in the middle of nowhere, like just out in the middle of the ocean somewhere. It'd be Sunday night at 6 o'clock. Like, well, they're singing right now. They're probably taking up the offering right now. I'm out here trying to have vacation. You know, I'm like, well, Bishop's probably preaching about right now. But my eye was on the church. I wonder how long it takes to lose that. How long do you have to miss before you don't miss it anymore? God have mercy. I'm I'm trying to reach for somebody. I'm going to preach in just a minute, but I'm going to reach for a little while tonight. I I wonder how long does it take before you learn a new way of living without God. We went for 53 days. In between being in the house of God as a church family and then coming back together, there was a couple parking lot meetings in that. But we went 53 days without being in the house of the Lord together as a unit, as a family. I wondered at that time, I'm just being honest, I wondered at that time how many chairs we were going to have to put out. On the first Sunday that we came back to church, Because all of the prodigals that had been gone from God for so long 
on that first Sunday back, they were surely going to fill this house. I remember saying, y'all, the parking lot's probably going to be packed out. And we're probably going to have to figure out a way to get people in. Because it's going to be packed out. And you know who was here? All the faithful people. But it didn't take long for folks to just get comfortable and realize this thing's probably going to pass. It's just a virus and it's going to pass. Slowly folks would start coming back in. They'd start showing up little by little. Thank God the faithful few were here. Every service we grew, God blessed and he helped. But I'm saying to you tonight, how long does it take? That you're away from the presence of God and you don't even miss it anymore. I'm telling you that it's seasons like that that begin to introduce thorns into your spirit that should have never been there in the first place. There's going to be pain and bloodshed that never had to be there in the first place. Pastor, are you saying God can't heal it? Absolutely not. God can heal anything. And as long as there's breath in your body, thank God for mercy. And thank God that he's still reaching but I want to know tonight how long does it take before you start missing the presence of God I went through my 14 days of triumph getting locked in the house because I didn't want to give somebody the virus and I hope Dr. Fauci's not listening. But I left my house when I was positive. They're fixing to shut us off right now. There's going to be a disclaimer on there. I left the house. I wanted to be in church so bad. You guys had church without us. There's a revelation. Y'all don't even need me. You had church. And Brother Gray, I stood at home upstairs. We have a monitor that we can pull YouTube up on. And I stood at home. I couldn't sit. I stood in our upstairs living room. And I watched this church worship. And I cried. And I cried. And I cried. For an hour and a half that y'all had church. I sobbed and I cried. I said, God, I want to be there so bad. I wish so bad that I could be there. Lord, I can't wait for this to pass. But the nurse practitioner told me on the phone, I was four days in, I had ten days left. I'm so glad they got the magic number down. Praise God. So after my ten days of being shut in and all of us going crazy, I came back. But during that time, I'd come down here to the church when nobody was here, and I'd stand out in the parking lot. I didn't want to come in because I didn't want to contaminate the doors. And I'd stand out there, and I'd, I'd put my hands on the pillars, the walls of the church, and I would weep, and I would cry. I'd say, God bless this church. Lord, we want to have revival. We want to have revival, Lord. Whatever we got to do, we want to have revival. And you know something? I just got a feeling that if you did that long enough, there would come a time that you wouldn't want to be here as bad as you did when it started. 
At some point, you're going to get used to not being in the house of God. At some point, you're going to get used to not being with the church of God every time the doors are open. You know how it starts? It starts one service at a time. You don't have to miss an entire week. All you got to do is just miss one Sunday morning or one Sunday night. And then the next time they offer overtime, it's a little bit easier. Can I tell you, if we're not careful, we're going to get to the place where we believe that we can make it without God. We're going to get to the place where we believe that we can make it through this life and we don't need his presence but it's in seasons like that that thorns are introduced that should have never been in our lives can God heal the thorn sure sure he can but does he have to I know that we, we love it, you know. The only way I can explain this to you is the way it happens in my personal life. I can have a package of bologna in the refrigerator and it'll go bad. But if there's no bologna in the refrigerator, that's when I get hungry for it. I like it when I have access to things, you know. We like it when we have access to it. And people are spoiled rotten because they've had access to the mercy of God for so long. But you do realize there is an expiration date on that. I know this isn't popular tonight, but we've been so used to just living how we want to live and coming back with a few thorn pricks here and a few thorn pricks there and saying, thank God for the mercy that can heal it. Folks, I don't know how else to preach it. I've preached it till I'm blue in the face. Jesus is coming back. You better get ready. We're not going to live in a dispensation of grace and mercy forever. There's coming a time that mercy is is going to expire. Y'all still with me tonight? I'm having to pace myself to get you where I want to take you tonight. Every pricked finger, every overgrown field, every ugly thorn bush reminds us of the frustrating pain of sin. And it's hideous blotch on God's masterpiece, the canvas of our lives that he's tried to paint. Oh, God. With the brushstroke of perfection, God laid plans out for his church. I want him to walk in power. I want him to walk in dominion. Can you imagine how beautiful that brushstroke was as he laid the plans out for Adam and Eve? You don't need anything. I've got, I'm going to take care of you. You don't need anything in the world but Adam and Eve reach up and grab that brush out of the hand of God and say, we'd rather paint ourselves. Thank you. And the Lord said, all right, I love you enough to let you paint. But there's going to be some thorns that are involved in this. Uh, it was just yesterday. I don't know, maybe this is what got it going, Brother Caleb. You, you finally got me inspired. We were standing outside last night. He looked down at his finger. He said, man, my finger is so sore. He said, I got a thorn that's broke off in my finger, and it's hot, and it's throbbing. It hurts. A thorn broke off in there, and he had to get, he stood out there with a needle picking on his finger, and I thought to myself, you know what? That's a byproduct 
pain that didn't have to be there. But because somebody wants to paint their own picture. And they think they know how to paint more majestic than the master artist. There are things that are introduced every overgrown field that you walk through. Oh, it drives me crazy trying to get somewhere and see the beauty in a piece of property somewhere. It drives me insane. Brandon, when I'm trying to get in there and find out where the deer have been laying and all the way in, it's grabbing me by the legs and grabbing me by the shirt and you come out and your hands are scraped up. Why is that there? It's there because there was brokenness that didn't have to be there. And we're reminded every time that a thorn reaches out and says hello that sin was a catastrophe but I want to tell you tonight I'm so glad to tell you that the thorn was not the end of the story and sin's catastrophe is not the end of the story because where sin doth abound grace did much more abound I thank God that where there was a thistle there was a healer I thank I thank God that where there was sin, there was a God who shed his blood for us. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating to look at the perfection of the pre-fall world and to seem that it would be forever lost because of God's unsightly thorns that have been woven into this beautiful plan. But I want to tell you something that's so powerful. God wove these thorns into this beautiful tapestry. As he begins to let the story unfold. In the book of Acts. The 7th chapter. And the 30th verse. It was Stephen that began to describe the scene in Exodus. With these words. He said that when 40 years were expired. There appeared unto Moses in the wilderness, in the Mount of Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. Now, I don't know how many of you ever look at the text, the context of words. But I got to looking this week at that little word right there that God showed up in a bush. And I want to tell you, it's not just any kind of bush. The Lord didn't just show up in any kind of bush. But as you began to look at the context of this verse, Bishop, it is this word bush in the Greek is a thorn bush. It's a bush that is full of thorns. Isn't it something that at Sinai, which is the place of the thorn, oh my God, it is the place of the thorn that Moses, who felt like he was on the backside of the wilderness, and he was involved in processes that he thought were going to be the end of his life, the Lord said, let me call you over here to a thorn bush. It was because of sin that the thorn came into existence. But I'm about to take the thorn in your life, and I'm about to show you the beauty of the thorn. Get over here and let me talk to you through the thorn. Stephen, he said that Moses was called to the side and there was a burning thorn bush that God began to speak to him. Why was it that God took him to the thorn bush as a man by himself when there was nobody else around? I'll tell you why. Because that thorn bush 
that God took him to was at Mount Sinai. And it was later that God would take him to Sinai again in the presence of all the people. And God would give him the law there. Isn't it something that the law of sin brought the thorn? But the law of God was given on the mountain of thorns. And when God gave his law, he said, I'm slowly going to interject the antidote for the thorn. I'm going to begin to let you see the power of this thorn. I'm going to let you see that there is a cure for the disease of sin. Stay with me right here. But God had to take Moses to Mount Sinai by himself before God could take Moses to Mount Sinai with all the people because there's some lessons that you have to learn in thorns by yourself before God can ever let you lead other people through the thorns. I feel like telling you tonight, it's not the end of the road because there's a thorn bush in your life I've got to believe that if you'll listen closely there's a voice that's coming out of that bush that's saying I'm fixing to show you how to get out of this mess I'm fixing to show you how to climb out is there anybody here tonight that had ran further from God than you ever dreamed that you would go? But one night, there was a voice that came to you out of the midst of a thorn bush and said, this is not the end of your story. I am not finished with you. God has his hand on your life. So God begins to speak his law in the mountain of thorns and speak to his children. And we found something out that while God was on the mountain speaking with Moses at the place of the thorn, the very first commandment that he gave him was thou shalt have no other gods. You want to know what will fix the thorn? No other gods. Man, if only we could get that concept. Thou shalt have no other. And isn't it something that while God was speaking the commandment to have no other God, that just beneath the fog, just beneath the smoke, Perhaps a couple thousand feet down in the valley at Sinai, there was a group of people that were already bringing together their plan that when the man of God is not present, we're going to figure out our own way. Thou shalt have no other God, but right down there in the valley, they're coming up with another God. Folks, that calf was not a replacement for God. Because they could see God in the mountain. That calf was a replacement for what they could not see. And that was the man of God that was hidden in the cloud. I don't care what anybody tells you. It's a reckless place to be without a man of God in your life. When Moses disappeared into the mountain of the thorns, they started trying to find their own way. I thank God for men of God 
God in my life. Dad, I'm so thankful that you preach this word and you love this word and you've never stopped loving this word. You know what I'm saying tonight? Preach on, preacher. I need a man of God in my life. I need somebody that will preach the truth to me. I need somebody that will show me the escape from the thorn. In the midst of the thorns, the Lord said, I want to show you a land that flows with milk and honey. Yeah, but I thought the thorn was a curse. It's almost as though the showdown on Mount Sinai was a parody of what happened in the garden when the Lord said to them, you'll have to deal with the curse of the thorn. But the Lord begins to give promise out of the middle of the thorns. As he stands on the mountain of God in the place of pricking, in the place of the thorn. The Lord said, let me tell you that the thorn isn't always going to rule. Because I have a land that's for you. It's been prepared for you. I feel like telling somebody in this place tonight that while we may have to endure some thorns right now, there is a land that God has prepared for us. It is a land of endless day it is a land where there will be no light because the lamb is the light God has prepared a place for us God said in the midst of the thorn I'm going to speak to you about the promise of deliverance but God wasn't finished he continues to lay out a plan to Moses and he said to him in Exodus 26 and 29, he said, Moses, I want you to build me a tabernacle. And he said, the most raw substance that you're going to use, the material that I want you to use for me. He said, I want you to take acacia wood and I want you to overlay it with gold. Now this is something you know what acacia wood is? It's a tree that's covered in thorns. The Lord said, I want you to take that thorn tree. And I want you to scrape every thorn that's off. This is what the priests were doing. He, he could have picked any kind of tree that he wanted. He said, but I want you to take that acacia wood. He said, I want you to take this small tree or bush that's covered in long thorns. He said in 26 and 29 of Exodus, he said, and after the thorn has been removed, I want you to overlay the boards with gold. The Lord said, I'm about to take the thorn bush and I'm about to have you overlay that with gold. I'm about to take what should have been a curse in your life. I'm about to take the thing that represented a curse in your world and you're going to cover that with gold hey let me tell you when you finally get the audacity in your life to begin to scrape the thorns off you're going to see God begin to overlay some things in your life the enemy meant it to kill you but God said I'm about to make a place of meeting for my people in the midst of the thorn God said, I'm going to take the place of the thorn and make it my meeting place for man. 
follow me right now. We couldn't see this story in the thorn without looking closely. But it was in the meeting place with God the first time that the thorn was introduced. But the Lord said in this wilderness, I'm going to let my presence dwell in the place of the curse that you created. You've made the mess. Oh, God. While we were yet sinners. He didn't wait till we got it all together. He didn't wait till we got it all right. Thank God. He didn't wait till I got all the puzzle pieces put together. His grace reached to me in the worst condition that I could be in. I thank God that you're here tonight. But you haven't always looked like you look tonight. There are some of you that he found in the middle of a thorn bush. But when God began to scrape the thorns off of your life, he overlaid it with gold. And now you have become a temple of the Holy Ghost. Your heart. Your heart is a dwelling place for the presence of God. It is a precious treasure in earthen vessels. God said, watch this. I'm going to take the curse of the thorn. And I'm going to let my presence dwell in the midst of the thorn. The last place that Israel encamps before they enter into the promised land in Numbers 25 is a place called Abel Shittim. This means the field of thorns. Israel was living in a field of thorns because the lawgiver Moses had not fully obeyed the laws of God. And now the Lord said, Moses, you're going to have to perish before you enter into the promised land. I want to tell you, the people of Moses thus languish in the field of thorns, longing for that promised prophet who was like Moses but better. That utterly perfect prophet, priest, and king. Who would accomplish all the things that other men from dust had failed to do. And in the Old Testament, God foreshadows. Oh, Standing at a place of encampment that was the field of thorns. Abel Shittim. It was not a pleasant place to be. But God said, I'm about to raise up the ruler that's going to take you from the thorn into the promised land. And his name is Joshua. Joshua is the foreshadowing of the name Yeshua. The Lord said, I'm about to raise up a name in the midst of the thorns that will mean salvation. God is about to raise up a voice that's going to lead you from the thorn into the blessing of the promise. And Joshua, God's deliverer, is raised up in the midst of the thorn, in the field of the thorn. And God said the thorn is not the end of the story because salvation has come to the thorn. And so Joshua, Yahweh saves. God saves.
becomes known to the people in the field of the thorn. Now for those of you that know who our great God and Savior is revealed to us in the flesh, the image of the invisible God, you know that Abel Shittim is not the last time that we see crown or that we see thorns appear. But we see it rather in Jesus. Jehovah saves, Yahweh saves in an unlikely crown. He's the king of glory, but he doesn't wear a crown with jewels. <laughs> the Bible said that they beat him, they cursed him, they mocked him. And then they thought it would be funny to take a crown of thorns and put it on his head. But what they did not know is they were just fulfilling the plan of God. Because when they put the thorn on his head, it was symbolic that the thorn had always been on his mind. The thorn was there because of the fall. But now the thorn would be the cure. Would be the cure for the fall. He came in an unlikely crown. And people did not recognize it. But the Lord said. When I put myself on the cross. You're going to know. That the thorn was on my mind. Can I tell you. <laughs> Can I tell you. 1 Corinthians 1 and 23 is a powerful testimony. I want you to understand me tonight when I say to you that the beauty of the thorn, the beauty of the thorn, 1 Corinthians 1 and 23, the beauty of the thorn is that the thorn is not just there. It is not just there to be a stumbling block to us. We preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. We preach Christ and people looked at it and say you're a fool for believing what you believe. We call it, they call it the foolishness of preaching. And there are people that look at you and say you're a fool for giving your life to him. But you hear this preacher, I've come to tell you tonight, the thorn wasn't the end of my story because he took the curse that I created and they put it on his head and with every drop of blood, they ran down off of the head of Jesus Christ the Messiah. He was saying, I have finally overcome the power of the thorn. And Jesus laid his head back and this is what he said. It is finished. What's finished? I've come to tell you I believe that what was finished was the power of the thorn. The thorn does not have dominion over you anymore. Oh, but Pastor St. Clair, you don't know how bad I've sinned. You don't know how far I've gone. That's the thorn. But the thorn was on his mind. The thorn. They press it down. I've heard stories of how the Romans would crucify people. They didn't just set that crown up there so it looked pretty. But I've heard it said, I don't know, it wasn't there. I've heard it said that they would place those thorns on, on the head like that. They begin to beat it and drive it further and further, further and further until it would press into the skull. And blood would run 
down their neck and onto their garments. Isn't it something that just as the oil ran down the beard and onto the garments of the high priest, that blood began to run down his head, down his face, and onto his garments. When I was a boy, we used to sing a lot. The old song said, I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I make mistakes and often slip. Just common flesh and bones. That song said, when he was on... God, I feel something trying to stir in here right now. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. You can think that it was an accident. And you can think that hell gets the final story. You can think that the enemy gets the final say. But I'm glad to tell you tonight that while he was on the cross, you were on his mind. While he was on the cross, the thorns were on his head. Blood ran down that robe and stained it crimson red. I don't know today what I did to deserve it, but thank God for the beauty of the thorn. <laughs> he didn't do it because he deserved it. He didn't do it because he sinned. He did it because of my sin. The thorn was not his fault. But thank God he took it on himself. One more time. He said, I'll do whatever I've got to do. The thorn may have had its rule. But I presented my law at the thorn. And the law couldn't get it done. He said, before my people crossed into the promised land, I tried to show them one more time. I talked to them at the thorn field. I said, you're going to have to be committed. You're going to have to get in covenant if you're going to cross over. And they still didn't get it. But thank God that when they hung him on that cross, and the crown was on his head, it finally started making sense that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. I don't know who it is I'm reaching for in here tonight, but I, I've carried this all day today. I'm reaching for somebody in this house tonight that you feel like the thorn in your life is the biggest mistake that could ever be made. And that God has washed his hands of you. And that you have failed God too many times for him to ever fix. But you understand me when I tell you. He'll never have to wear another crown of thorns again. Because the first time he wore the crown of thorns. It fixed the curse of the thorn in your life. The Bible said that he felt forsaken. As he hung there, he laid his head back and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. He said, why have I been forsaken? He felt like he was alone. He felt like he was forsaken. And he did it with a crown on his head. He did it with joy in his spirit. It was with joy that he endured the cross. Why? Because of the thorn that was in my life. Thank God for the beauty of the thorn. I'm asking you in this place tonight all over this room. I don't care 
how long pride has kept you locked up in your seat. It doesn't matter to me how many services you've sat through and said, no, I'm not going tonight. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost sent me here to reach for somebody one more time tonight and let you know that you cannot fail God enough. There can't be enough thorns in your life that that crown of thorns cannot fix. There's beauty. Oh, pastor, I have so many scars. That's okay. He was wounded for our transgression, Isaiah 53. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace is upon him and with his stripes. That doesn't just say healing for your body. I'm telling you, there's healing for somebody's heart in here tonight. There is healing for somebody's emotions in here tonight. I felt this in the prayer room. Somebody walked in here tonight, an absolute emotional wreck. He wasn't just wounded for people that were sick in their body. He was wounded for people who are battling in your mind tonight. I'm telling you, I felt the Holy Ghost so strongly saying tonight, I want to heal somebody of manic depression. I want to heal somebody of a black cloud that has rested over their mind. Listen, your your mind can be free tonight because the thorns were on his mind. I'm reaching. You've been in a dark place you never dreamed you'd be. But because he took the crown. Can we just bow our heads in this place right now? Come on. <laughs> There's healing at an old-fashioned altar tonight. There's healing at an old-fashioned altar tonight. While he was on the cross. <laughs> You can't run so far tonight that there's not healing for you. Would you let the Lord heal your broken heart and mind tonight? I'm preaching to somebody who feels like you've been on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Let him heal you.